I call to you, and I call to you, but it's no use. People laugh at me. They shake their heads. Let's see how God handles this one, but you don't handle it. I'm asking for help. Why don't you give it to me? Do these words resonate at all with you? I'm going to invite Dave now to play a little bit of an instrumental as we reflect. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. And I'm not silent, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But... I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast from birth. I was cast upon you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing but you O lord be not far off oh my strength come quickly to me deliver my life from the sword my precious life from the power of the dogs rescue me from the mouths of the lions save me from the horns of the wild oxen 
I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry from help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations, all will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn for he has done it. Let's pray together. Father, we invite you into this place. We invite you into ourselves. We invite uh, your presence to speak into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds. We ask that we, we could see you and understand you and learn from you and that you would help us follow you. Uh, Father, we ask this morning that you would give us the opportunity to learn more about who you are and how you operate from your word, that you would continue to teach us so that we could know you more and so that we could be changed by who you are. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Dave. Appreciate the background music. <laughs> well, good morning, Kettlebrook family. It's fun to kind of be still be back in our, I feel like I had this extended summer thing. I just got back from vacation, so it's kind of fun to be back in our morning season again. Though I do feel like I left summer back behind with me in Florida. Sorry I didn't bring any of it with me. Um, hey, if you are visiting this morning, well, we just want to say welcome. We're really glad that you have come uh, to visit. And if uh, this is part of Kettlebrook Church, this is our Kiwaskum gathering of Kettlebrook Church. And, and if we haven't met yet, my name is Dan Kelm. I'm the site pastor here. And if you want to Say hi, or just I always like to hang out up front after the gathering, so feel free to um, introduce yourself. I'd love to get to know you. And like Michelle mentioned earlier, we are serving lunch uh, in, the, in the cafeteria right after the gathering, and so please stick around for that. And if you are an introvert like me, uh, feel free to ask me to help introduce you to some people. I got your back. So this morning, uh, like Michelle said, we are kicking off a, a four-part series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And our goal is to try to find some answers to some difficult and legitimate questions about God and how and why he operates the way he does. And we'll be looking at some passages from the Bible, uh, often focusing on the Psalms, to see how others have dealt with these hard questions. And we'd love to invite you back for uh, each of the four weeks of this series to, as we kind of explore the topics of when God seems uncooperative, well, which we'll be talking about this morning, when God seems distant, when God seems disappointed, and when God seems unjust. Because I think if we're truly honest, God doesn't always make sense to us. Uh, who he is, how he acts or responds or doesn't, act or respond, uh, doesn't always work the way we think it ought to. He doesn't always behave the way we'd like him to, and that's, that's a legitimate experience. And whether you're someone who's been trying to follow God for a while or whether you'd say you're still trying to seek out who and what God is, this is a shared reality. 
that sometimes God doesn't make sense. So what do we do in those moments? Well, hopefully, I think over maybe the next four weeks, uh, we can have some working answers that enable us to kind of move forward in our exploration of understanding who God is and why he operates the way he does. So I want to try something a little bit different this morning. I know we've been a little reflective so far, but so I want to ask if you'd be willing to close your eyes. So, and with your eyes closed, take a moment uh, to try to let your mind rest. Okay, I want you to think about your greatest hopes and your dreams and your desires. Try to be totally honest with yourself and think about the deepest longing and the single most unfulfilled desire you have right now. And in your heads, I want you to fill in the blank to this sentence. Right now, the most important thing I want is. With your eyes still closed, what if God's answer is no? All right, you can open your eyes. It's a difficult feeling, isn't it? And some of you may have already been dealing with and, and wrestling with that answer for a while. And some of you might not like that concept of a God who says no, especially when there's kind of this, this general uh, impression that doesn't God always say yes to our desires? Uh, I was probably uh, still, a, probably still a preteen when I first wrestled with this. Uh, a relative was dying, and I remember praying for her to be healed. And she passed away. And I questioned why God's answer to my prayer was no. I have a lot of friends right now who are struggling with infertility uh, and some who've had numerous miscarriages. One of my friends was just telling me uh, that their last miscarriage came at 11 weeks and it was twins. We, we probably all know, if people close to us, if not even ourselves, who are wrestling and struggling and suffering in some way. Uh, maybe it's with sickness or disease or cancer, struggling with sin, addiction, mental illness, being out of work, falling behind on payments, feeling hopeless or alone, crying out and seeking to have God help with the thing that's most desperately needed. And it seems like right now the answer is no. And our topic this morning is when God seems uncooperative. Uh, I think it could have also been called when God seems against me or when he seems to not want to help me in my struggles or when he seems to not be on my side or seems to oppose me, essentially when his answer is no. And sometimes we're left feeling like I told him my single greatest desire in life <laughs> and either he doesn't exist, he doesn't care, or doesn't want to help me. We question his existence. We question his goodness. We question his loyalty. And if we're honest, I think maybe we've all felt this way at some point. But I also think that there's something that keeps pushing us to not settle with one of those conclusions, to explore a deeper meaning. And so what do we do when God seems uncooperative? Well, the first thing I think we should do is to turn to God's word to us found in the Bible. Uh, and we heard, I uh, read earlier from Psalm 22. 
heartfelt and honest cry from King David, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, someone who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, someone who sought after God and knew God and was for God's kingdom. And this same guy that that was just wrote Psalm 22 along with numerous other psalms is now crying out asking why God has abandoned him and why God won't save him from his struggles, from the struggles that he's constantly wrestling with, the things that are crushing him. But like we saw, that's, that's not how the psalm ends. Uh, but let's start at the beginning, uh, and, and we'll hit some important verses as we go. And if you, if you want to follow along, so we're looking at Psalm 22. Uh, it's pretty much the center of the Bible. Uh, if you grabbed one of the red Bibles on the way in, we're on page 391. And uh, if you'd like one of those Bibles to use, these guys are going to be coming around, so just wave at them, or maybe you use some kind of like a baseball signal, and, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll see you. They'd love to bring one up to you. And hey, if you don't own a Bible, by all means, keep one of these. So I need to start out by saying how much I appreciate David. Uh, I appreciate his honesty. Too often people think that following God is about appearing perfect, but it's not. We're not. Maybe you are, but I'm not. Feel free to ask my wife on that one. Uh, But we do follow a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And we trust in his perfection and his perfect work on our behalf. And David was someone who was also imperfect. And he didn't feel like he needed to hide that. And when God didn't make sense to him, he didn't feel like he needed to hide that either. He didn't abandon or reject God, but he had some honest conversations and some honest prayers to God, like Psalm 22. And David isn't someone who grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth um, or was someone who was unfamiliar with struggles or suffering or temptation. Uh, When David complains about the issues he's facing, uh, he's not whining about his drink order at Starbucks getting screwed up, okay? Actually, I remember uh, one time when I was in Germany on a family vacation, and uh, we were in the city of Ulm, and uh, I just got this horrible allergy attack, and I was just miserable inside and out. And uh, and we stopped at this little deli place for lunch, and I just needed something to kind of pick up my spirits. And, and they had all this weird food, except in this one glass case that these these little pizza bagels with, with little hot dog pieces on there. <laughs> and, it, and it was the closest thing I think I could hope for, for good old American comfort food. But it took my family to forever to figure out what they wanted to order and what we wanted to all get. And while that monkey business was all going on, these two boys came in, and they got right in front of us, and they ordered the last pizza bagels. I uh, had a meltdown. <laughs> I went from being miserable to intolerable. Uh, my poor family. It wasn't good. But when David talks about his struggles, sufferings, and temptations, he's not talking about Starbucks or pizza bagels. As a boy, he fended off wild animals like lions from his father's flock of sheep. He was probably a young teen when he had to fight against for his life against the giant Goliath. Uh, He was just a young adult when Saul tried to kill him numerous times, leaving David to flee and live in the wilderness for years. And as a young man, David led a group of small group of soldiers in the in the wilderness that were attacked regularly by their enemies while they were on the run. As a young king, he wrestled with the sins of lust and power and lying and adultery and even murder. 
and he lost a newborn son. And as king, he had to fight numerous times against those who were trying to steal his throne, once even his own son, leaving him exiled and on the run for a time. And his kids, one raped his sister, leaving her disgraced. Another had his brother killed for doing that. And two of his other sons fought against each other for the succession of the throne. David dealt with struggle and suffering and temptation. And his psalms go even deeper uh, into greater detail of his feelings of loss and abandonment and pain and sorrow and his wrestling with sin and his thoughts. David dealt with some difficult stuff. And it was, some of it was physical attacks from without. Some of it was spiritual attacks from within. But like I said, I like David because of his honesty. His raw honesty amidst struggle and suffering and temptation. He's someone I feel like we can identify with. And in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 22, he cries out, Why have you forsaken me, abandoned me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why is my deliverance so far away? And that verb forsaken is, is in the perfect tense. It has a, a specific time stamp to it. My wife, Sharice, and my kids took the ferry to Michigan this weekend for a family wedding. And it's, it's always kind of a crazy, you know, hurried experience trying to get the kids ready and out the door. Sure, you guys with kids have never experienced that before. Uh, but things always seem especially crazy when there's like a deadline. And then they also had some road trouble along the way. Uh, and, and the ship was going to leave. The ferry was going to leave 1235 whether they made it or not. Well, they got there, and they made it safe. And David's like, God, the ship has sailed, and you weren't there. Why weren't you there when I needed you? I cry out, I groan by day, by night, and nothing. And in verses 6 to 8, he talks about being a worm. I was reading this passage out loud to my three-year-old daughter, Aria, at home, and she's like, a worm? <laughs> Why was he a worm? And I was like, well, honey, he feels like, you know, he feels that way because he was pushed away by people, and they were mean to him and made fun of him and said it was silly that he trusted in God. And in verses 11 through 18, he keeps going. His troubles are near, and God seems far and he's likened his current struggles, temptations, and sufferings um, to feeling like, feeling like he's being attacked by wild animals. And inwardly and outwardly, he's falling apart. And you can tell by his imagery that this isn't hypothetical. This is very real. He talks about fear surrounding him, being poured out like water, his bones being out of joint, his heart melting like wax, his strength drying up like clay, his mouth going dry, his appetite reduced to a point where you can see all his bones, and people are staring at him, gloating over him, and just waiting for his downfall. And I feel like the only thing he was missing was having his stomach twisted in knots, right? I mean, have you felt that way? Have you felt before like David? I have. I'm crying out to God, and he seems uncooperative. I'm crying out for help, and his answer is either not yet or no. 
But the psalm, like most of David's psalms, has resolution uh, about who God truly is. And, and David doesn't let his false conclusions about God take hold. And he reminds himself of who he knows God to be. And this psalm is unique because there's kind of this back and forth that happens of crying out in pain and sorrow and accusation and then remembering God's character, his track record, his praiseworthiness. And so back in verses 3 through 5, David declares that he knows that God is holy. He is good. He has delivered his people over and over. He's trustworthy. Verses 9 and 10, David recalls God's goodness and provision to him personally. God has been there for him since birth. And that the Lord Yahweh has been his God. David says, since birth you have been my God. It's a personal relationship David has with God. And so starting in verse 22, David says he he will declare the name of the Lord. And he invites all who revere him to praise the Lord. And in, in verse 24, we see that God has been listening to David, just as he always listened to his people and those who cry out for help. He's not turned away from those who are struggling or suffering or facing temptation. He's not rejected them. He's not hidden his face from them. And so from verses 25 through 31, David sings of God's praise and invites others to do the same. So what do we do when God doesn't make sense? When he seems uncooperative? When, when his answer is no? You know, sometimes when uh, my wife, Sharice, or I tell our daughter, Aria, no, she starts to despair. I didn't know a three-year-old could do that. <laughs> it's, the, it's the saddest thing to see. And she, uh, she can't pronounce her, her L's very well. And so she'll just say so sadly, Yife is hard sometimes. I can't, I just can't do anything. (laughs) It feels like that though sometimes, doesn't it? And we feel like that, that like we're stuck and we're wondering why God isn't helping. Why, Why God seems uncooperative. And I know in my human nature, I sometimes want to lash out. I maybe make some accusations like David does in Psalm 22, thinking that either God doesn't exist or he doesn't care or he doesn't want to help me. Questioning his existence, questioning his goodness, questioning his loyalty. But in Psalm 22, what we see, what I like, is that it's, it's one of those passages of Scripture that reminds me of the truth. It reminds me that I'm not alone, that you are not alone. If King David struggled and suffered and was tempted, it helps me realize that others who are trying to follow God will also struggle and suffer and will be tempted. And Psalm 22 also reminds me to look to the past, to remember what God has done in my life, how he's always been there. But probably more than anything else, the most powerful part about this passage is that in our struggles, our temptations, and our sufferings, we see God's existence, God's goodness, and God's loyalty demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Did you see it? Did you see him in Psalm 22? Let's check this out. 
Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark 15. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22.7 and 8. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Matthew 27, those who pass by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Psalm 22, 16, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Matthew 27, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Psalm twenty-two, seventeen, and 18, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. John 19, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the under, undergarment remaining. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's divide by lot. Who will get it? This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. In the life of David, Jesus' sufferings are prophesied. They're foretold. In our struggles, our temptations, and our sufferings, we see God's existence, God's goodness, and God's loyalty demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You think you're alone? You are not alone. And in your struggles, your sufferings, or your temptations, Jesus faced real struggle, endured unfathomable suffering, and was tempted by Satan himself. And I'm not sure what your answer was when, when I asked you to close your eyes and, and fill, into the, fill the blank in for uh, what the most important thing is that you want right now. But for many of us, I am thinking, I'm guessing, that it was asking for God's help with something. Maybe something that it feels like he's been uncooperative with. It might be something, that, a struggle that you're currently facing. Money issues, work issues, uh, housing, family Kids, being alone. It could be suffering that you're living through personally or with someone close. Pain, loss, sickness, miscarriages, mental illness, infertility, depression, fear, compulsion, anxiety. Maybe it was temptation and sin that you asked for God's help with. Lust. Anger, money, coveting, hoarding, pride, honesty, indulgence, apathy, idleness, being self-consumed. Whatever it is, when you're crying out for God to help and when it seems like he's being uncooperative and the answer right now is no, I understand. That can be hard. That doesn't always make sense. And what can be even harder is that God's answer to whatever it is that you're currently facing may never be yes. God's answer might always be no. 
And as hard as that is, swallow. Remember, you're not alone. In Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about wrestling with temptation and sin, doing the the very things that he doesn't want to be doing and continually needing God's grace and help. In Philippians, he talks about continuing to walk through suffering to know Jesus better. And in 2 Corinthians, he tells us how he asked God three times to take away what he calls a thorn in his flesh, but God tells him that his grace is sufficient for him and that God's strength will be made perfect in Paul's weakness. God doesn't always make sense to us. Look at Job. <laughs> he had all these crazy afflictions were put on him and, and when he encounters God, he's never even told Why? I mean, at least we're told it was for God's glory and praise. So you're not alone, not in your struggles, your sufferings, or your temptations. Even more than Job, or Paul, or David, or anyone else, Jesus Christ gets it. He can understand and empathize more than any other individual. And C.S. Lewis says, Jesus plumbed the depth of the worst struggle, suffering, and temptation for you and for me. Why? So we can know and trust in God and his goodness and his love through what he has done. And what has he done? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, for you, for me, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Psalm 22 ends by saying, all will proclaim his righteousness, for he has done it. And not only did he die for us, but he rose victoriously. And even though sometimes it feels like God is being uncooperative and we wrestle when his answer is no, we know that in Jesus Christ we find our strength, our hope, and our salvation. In our struggles, our temptations, and our sufferings, we see God's existence, God's goodness, and God's loyalty demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has done it. Let's pray together. Father, I think it's just such a powerful few words that you've ended that psalm with. That you have done it. That you hold the victory. That when things don't make sense to us, even those times when your answer to us is no, and we don't understand and you don't make sense, we still understand that you are good and you are holy. And we can know your great love for us because it is demonstrated by sending Jesus Christ to die for us and rise victoriously so that we could become righteous before your eyes. And that everyone will praise you for your righteousness. And that you have done it. Father, I ask that this morning for those of us who are in a place of suffering, struggling with something, facing temptation on a regular basis, dealing with sin that we want to get rid of. We just continue to ask for your help. We will continually cry out to you because we know that you are good. We know that you are listening. We know that you 
are near, that you are hearing our cries, that you have not rejected us in this place. Help us cling to that truth. Help us remember that truth. Help us look back to remember what you have done for us personally, how you have been our God, how you have demonstrated that through Jesus Christ, the greatest of all love that you could have shown us. I just ask that you would continue to walk on this road with us. That we could continue to look to you and continue to trust you and hope in you for our salvation and for our deliverance. We pray this in the name of Jesus.